Hi, we are Caroline and Levi Holt, and we're part of the family here at Holt Farms. When I think of the people that I know that I watched wear Liberty overalls growing up, hard work, determination, perseverance, just a real appreciation for their craft and what they did and, and for things that, that lasted and for things that, that meant something to them. That's what I saw walking around in Liberty overalls. Shop LibertyBibs.com for your pair today. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Justine Berry. Justine is a second generation cattle rancher in East Central Alberta. Along with her parents and her growing family, they raise Black Angus cattle and direct market their natural grass-fed beef to their local community. Justine is passionate about finding a balance between raising beef and babies and in her spare time enjoys hosting and attending regenerative agriculture learning opportunities. I am so grateful to be sharing Justine's story with you today here on the podcast. And my friends, please be sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode for a special message from me. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Justine. Justine, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? I am good, Caitlin. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you and to get to know more about you and your ranch and all of the things, Justine. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, tell us about yourself and your connection to agriculture. So I grew up on my parents' cattle ranch and I guess I grew up with my younger and older sister, and there's three of us. And so we were always involved in B4H, as well as super helpful on the ranch because we were it, we were the boys. And then I got married in 2017, and my husband and I purchased land and kind of adjacent to my parents and joined the ranch in that way. So we run all of our cattle together as if it's one and um, collaborate with them substantially. So growing up, a family of three girls, was there ever 
like, did the thought cross your mind that this is what you wanted to be doing? Or did you think that you wanted to move off of the ranch and have a career elsewhere? I don't even, I don't ever think that we were like, we were never forced into agriculture in the sense of it was always like, it was something if we wanted to do, we were like welcomed home, but it was never something we talked about of like, who's going to take over the ranch kind of thing. So we, all three of us went off to university taking all all different degrees. And then it just so happened my two other sisters have actually married grain farmers nearby. Um, so they've kind of gone that direction. And then I, I just was, I don't know, more involved and got sucked into the beef sales. And all of a sudden it was like, well, well, I'm here. <laughs> That's incredible. Did your husband have anything to do with agriculture or anything before he met and fell in love with a rancher? So my husband grew up in Hannah, so very much so like an agriculture area. And he had family that was involved in agriculture, but not his grandparents or his parents. So he was definitely a town boy that I just like a fish out of water. I just stole him away to the branch and yeah, I don't, don't ask him about it. (laughs) (laughs) So you have an off farm career that you, you know, you went to university, you got your education and were working off of the ranch. Yes. So I, um, got my, uh, bachelor of nursing a roundabout way. Um, I did a, Bachelor of Science first, and then a Bachelor of Nursing afterwards. And so I still work at a couple of our local hospitals on less frequent of basis now than I uh, was before, but kind of still juggle it all and have my nursing license. Um, I'd like to say it's more of a hobby now, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know what my job is. <laughs> That's all right. A Jill of many trades. Uh <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So tell us more about your your ranch and your current operation, Flag Hill Ranch. So we are a cow-calf operation. So we raise all of our um, animals right from birth. Uh, so we have mostly Black Angus cattle. They're a commercial herd. And we have downsized a little bit to become, we're keeping all of our calves for longer. So we're just making room for, for more at a time on the farm. So we grass finish all of our own calves, put them through our own beef program. So we've kind of got everybody from calving in the spring all the way through to yearlings running around on grass. Um, so it's a, it's a busy place, lots of things going on. And it seems like compared to when I was growing up, there's a lot more uh, groupings and age categories than we ever had when I was growing up. It was more so a very traditional cow-calf operation that was like sell in the fall, get rid of the calves, and they would go away to a feedlot, that kind of thing. Um, and it's kind of been in the last 10 years that we've really transitioned into, I like to call it our, our very only, very own grassland feedlot. <laughs> that, that is so neat. And it's so it's so interesting to see the progression of how, you know, when your when your father purchased this land to where it is today. Do you know how many years it's been in your family for? Yes. So 1983 was when he purchased it from his uncle. And prior to that, his uncle's family had actually homesteaded it multiple generations before that. So my dad had kind of 
been around on the land much before he'd uh, purchased it. But yeah, it's, and they, it's kind of, it's land that's been through cropping, been, you know, multiple different things tried on the land. And we, where we're at is just very, very sandy. It's not really suited for, you know, row cropping of any kind. Not, not a ton anyhow. Like it's just a little more barren, a little drier. Perfect for what you're doing then. So exactly. what, what inspired the change to being a grass-fed, grass-finished operation versus the kind of traditional cow-calf, you know, sell off the calves to a feedlot? Really, I, th- I think it, there's, I think a lot more reasons now that we've stayed in it, but originally it was more so kind of doing more with what we had and what we were specialized in. So because we had gone away from having any uh, cropland or grain of our own and being a strictly, you know, ranch-based cattle operation, it just really made sense because it was the feed that we had rather than buying from somebody or trying to do something that we maybe weren't specialized in or didn't know a ton about. We, you know, mixed our own 4-H feed back in the day and they were grain finished, but that was kind of out of our element. So Really, this is kind of what fit our program. Uh, Lots of our beef animals are actually heifers, like female cattle. And essentially, they fit the program really well because they actually finish really well on grass, a little bit different than steers do. And they also are, they just, they're a a unique market niche because there isn't, um, you don't get paid the same amount for them if you were to sell them on the standard market. So it's kind of a nice way to value added a sex of animal that's just under underappreciated. Those heifers, they're definitely, yeah, <laughs> they are not appreciated, but there's some that I know are quite mean. So <laughs> yeah. we, do, we don't appreciate those ones as much as the nice ones. <laughs> so we've, that was kind of how we, we started into it. And, and now that we've gone down that path, it's really something that, that fits a strain of agriculture that fits our, our values. And, it just matches, you know, what we're trying to do with the soil now and and going down a little bit more of the regenerative agriculture pathway and just trying to improve the soil and make more grass, make more beef. It kind of just all fits together lovely in this, you know, holistic environment. Right. You have uh, led me so perfectly into my uh, next set of questions for you, Justine, with all of the buzzwords of holistic and regenerative and sustainable and all of the things. So it's something that I know within the last few years has definitely been a booming topic of being regenerative. And I want to know what does it mean to you and your operation to be a regenerative operation and what does regenerative agriculture mean to you? Gosh, well, I'm definitely not going to give you a good textbook answer like Gabe Brown would give. Good. I don't want that. (laughs) The quick and dirty. So essentially to us, like regenerative agriculture is basically rejuvenating the land and building the soil to create a, a sustainable ecosystem. So essentially you don't have to break up the land to, you know, add diversity. Like lots of people will say, oh, we need to, we need to break up the hayland because it's becoming unproductive. So it's a, it's an old stand. We need to break it up and, and seed it again 
add in the diversity again. And so really what we're trying to do is without disturbing that soil, adding in all the things that it needs and making that like a healthy ecosystem below the ground in order to essentially not have the cost of constantly breaking it up. You know, just for us, we we don't have that equipment and so that it didn't make sense on that kind of financial front. So that was one of the reasons, you know, we were kind of torn or like pulled in this direction. And then once we kind of were led down this pathway, it's like, holy cow, this is, it seems like such basic stuff. Once we get talking about it or learn more about it every day, you will like listen to a podcast and be like, oh my God, why didn't I think about that? Like that makes so much more sense. What are some of the ways that you're adding back to the soil? What are you doing on your operation that seems to be helping? A lot of it is winter feeding. So done uh, swath grazing and we we did invest in this is I feel like Gallagher should pay me but we invested in these tumble wheels for our swath grazing and I'm pretty much in love with it like I was moving the tumble wheels at eight months pregnant just thinking it was the funnest thing ever it took me like 20 minutes to feed like 150 cows and their calves it was great wish we could do that every year if we had that good of a crop so swath grazing, bale grazing, um, you know, ex- looking at extended grazing seasons. So uh, grazing deeper into the fall and earlier in the spring. And then, so just adding that residual back into the land, the organic trash. <laughs> and then, you know, in the, in the summer months, it's really looking at our rotational grazing and trying to shorten those windows as much as possible. So right now we're working with kind of anywhere in a two to four day move for all of our different herds. And essentially that's just trying to decrease any amount of overgrazing and keep them on the move so that they're getting the best grass in the most, you know, ideal stage of the grass. So it's in that kind of high protein stage, as well as, you know, not destroying any of that soil. One of the things that we just, we were just listening to a podcast my dad's just figured out the internet. So he thinks these like, you know, podcasts and YouTube is next level, brand new stuff here. (laughs) (laughs) And he was just talking about essentially, even if a pasture doesn't look like it's been overgrazed, you think, oh, like there's a great stand out there. It doesn't look like we're doing any damage. But really, if they're in there for longer than that three to four day period, they're still overgrazing their favorite plants. So it might not look it, but they're going around and like, say, picking off the tops of every alfalfa. And so then eventually over time, you know, those certain species don't exist within within that pasture or that ecosystem. So eventually over time, your diversity is depleted. And then when your diversity is depleted, your, your soil just isn't happy because it needs all these different things to work. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I just think, you know, there are people who are the animal, maybe not the animal lovers that just think like, oh, these animals are stupid. Like they'll just go stand there and eat whatever, like they eat everything or whatever it is. But they, like you said, they're picking and choosing what they want to eat when they can. They they get to pick the most delicious plants. And why wouldn't you go to those ones if you had the opportunity to? So I just think that regenerative agriculture can be so broad across like any type of operation. And uh, I love that your dad is has uh, recently found podcasts and YouTube. And I hope he's listening now. So hi, dad. Uh, 
I'm going to have to set him up with this one for sure. You will. Give him, <laughs> give him a hand, would you? So, <laughs> What are some of the changes that you've seen in your pasture over the last several years and when you've adopted these practices or made it these changes? I think it's just improving our, our drought resistance. And I think that that's kind of a big hot topic right now with the last couple of years that we've experienced. And just that, you know, it, it's really, you know, the more, the more of the pasture stand that you can have going into the carryover going into winter, the more snow that you can trap from the wind blowing it away. <laughs> and so just ultimately you get that um, moisture in there as well as the more kind of organic matter that you can put on the soil. So you're not actually seeing that black dirt is huge for how hot it gets in the summer and how much you lose to evaporation. So I think that just like that water management of the grassland in order to basically be really greedy and hold on to every little bit that we get. And obviously there is, there is always room to grow. So this is kind of just like every year it's like, we're going to try harder and maybe next year it'll rain and we'll get a head start, you know? But I, I think that that's been like a really big benefit as well as, you know, just trying to increase those grazing days so that, you know, we're not having to buy feed or, you know, feed with the tractor or whatever method that we're using at the time. It's less and less days so that, you know, input costs and things like that, we're minimizing as much as possible just to be efficient and, and try and build a sustainable business. Well, and there's just so many benefits of it, right? Like you're talking about the cost wise for you, but it's also, you know, it's the cost of your land if you're able to, you know, use less inputs and less dollars out of your pocket and get a better result in the end because you have healthy soils and healthy animals, then it's really a win-win all around. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And trying to, you know, we just found as, as a kind of a small family farm is really, we are, you know, pretty small. It's keeping up to, you know, the idea of, of buying more or being bigger, having more wasn't, you know, as much in, in reach and it made more sense to try and do more with what we had than to have more. Yeah. That's such a good, that's a good lesson for everyone. I think like make what you have work for you instead of buying more or acquiring more and really running yourself ragged. If you're a small family operation and there's only only so many hands do what you do good. Yeah, that's exactly. that's really good English there. Do what you do good and then you will get more. So, there you go. That's that's got to be the name of this podcast episode. <laughs> it's essentially just trying to step off the hamster wheel and go a different direction. Let ask me in a few years and ask me if this turns out. <laughs> right. We'll be back. We'll be back to get you to answer these questions for us. So, uh, I want to switch gears into the marketing of of your products. So you do a lot of direct to consumer marketing uh, for your beef. So tell us when that started and uh, how that's been going. Oh, well, I think that it all kind of started. My dad was very much so like, it started as like a, you know, he was talking on the phone and sending emails to his, his friends and we were selling mostly to family it kind of started when I was in my science degree and then all of a sudden I started managing his emails and all of a sudden we had an Instagram account <laughs> and like, I guess it's kind of blossomed from there. So back in, I would say like 
2017, 2018 is when we really got started with, you know, increasing our, our following and the amount of effort that we were putting into our social media accounts. So kind of Instagram and Facebook. And that was a huge, that was a huge thing for us because we obviously were able to meet a whole different customer base uh, through those methods. And that, you know, I was trying to get, get real good at it and, you know, listening to all the, all the self-help videos on that and, and how to do this new age marketing make myself sound really old there, but, <laughs> and then <laughs> it's kind of, it, it's kind of trans I've, it's been a full transition because I feel like lots of podcasts and stuff are talking about lately, you know, just how valuable social media is. And yet it, it's gotten to a point I feel like where there is, there's so many people on it and there's also, it's a big business. So you're, there's a lot of pay to play or like, no, it's just not accessing. It's not doing what it did in 2018, 2019, right? It was like very cool, very hot. You know, you just put, put something out and it would be instantly picked up and everybody saw it super, I want, I don't want to say easy, but, but it was like, if, if you were doing it right, you were, you were doing it. And it's like, I think everybody who's been on social media marketing has just found that like, it's harder. There's a lot more people on it and it's a challenge. So we've kind of had to branch out and try lots of new things and kind of keep growing. You're just, you're never done. So just trying new things to, to reach that marketplace. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it's social media itself is a business and, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and whoever owns whatever now, like it, they, they need to make a living and they make a living off of you trying to sell your business to their customer base, which is everyone on social media is a customer. Like whether we know it or not, we're a customer of social media and marketing in that way, like you said, five years ago is completely different than what it is today. It, it's different than it was five days ago, depending on if your algorithm has changed or whatever it is and, and the climate and the world that we live in today, like it, it changes all of the time. And to be, you know, I always think it's kind of interesting, like we as farmers and ranchers, like we are, we are entrepreneurs, we are business people, like our farms and ranches are businesses. And, you know, on top of being an entrepreneur and the business person, you also need to be, you know, the marketer, you need to be the like customer service, you need to be all of these different things. And specifically when you are doing direct market sales, like off of your operation, you are all of those things all of the time. Yeah, no, it's, it's always funny because you would just want to say like, you sometimes you'll get emails from people which I love getting emails from and actually connecting with our customers or calls. You're just like, okay, let me just uh, pass you over to the customer service agent and uh, she will talk you through your cutting instructions. And then I'll just say, okay, here I am. Here I am. <laughs> I'm gonna actually yeah. just out doing chores at the same time. So just give me a second <laughs> because the wind is blowing. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And well, I guess when you think of entrepreneur, like I just think it's multifaceted. And as, as farmers and ranchers and as folks in agriculture, I think we have to be multifaceted in order to keep up with whatever trend is happening or whatever it is that's going to keep our businesses viable 
in the society today. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And uh, I like how you've said that, you know, like it is a full-time job to be a marketer of of anything. So one thing that uh, Justine that I've I've noticed that you've done and I am so happy to see this is the collaboration aspect of your business going through your website to see the names and companies and businesses of folks that are local to you that are you're able to connect with and collaborate with to kind of take the burden almost off of that marketing thing, right? Like how can we collaborate and how can we put our businesses together, whether that's selling somebody else's product with yours or um, having beef tallow in somebody's soap. Like there's so many different things that you can do in collaboration. So talk to us more about the different collaborations that you have with other local businesses to you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just really trying to embody, which I mean, it's hard. It like, cause you just, it's, it's hard not to get caught up in the whole competition of like, these guys look like they're making a lot of money. These guys look like they're selling a lot or, you know, with, with other businesses that are doing a similar thing to you. And so we've really, really been trying to push myself to, to grow and be more community over competition and, and looking at that marketing perspective of like, you know, whoever's seeing my page of stuff will maybe like their product. And then we, we have totally different tools or customer bases uh, that we can kind of share. So one of them is the, the Prairie Soap Shack. So she has started uh, purchasing our tallow that I've been rendering and she uses it in her soap, uh, which is really great. It's right up her alley with all of her amazing natural products and make, making soap and having my own like tallow line, super huge dream, but it just, you know, something's got to give. I can't do it all. The dream is there, but mm, not anytime soon. <laughs> and we have a couple other local vendors or local uh, grocer kind of uh, places that that sell our beef, which is really incredible through their marketplaces of trying to do more local foods. And one of the cool, really cool collaborations that is always so fun, um, we've done it for a couple of years now, is with uh, a brewery in Drumheller, Valley Brewers. They are like awesome family friends and we do like a big father's day give or um sale with them i mean what dad doesn't want beef and steak or beef and beer like it never gets old <laughs> so just that's kind of some of the things that we've tried to do um my sister's farm who they are primarily primarily a, a grain farm so they started uh, getting into outdoor pork as well as chickens and turkeys in like the kind of regenerative chicken tractors and so they are surprise home market so they fit well with us in the sense that we you know we had something that they didn't have for their small business you know we had the freezer trailer and we'd started the, this website and so it, it made sense for us to kind of collaborate and and join our families and kind of help each other out on the the work front and uh, be able to grow our customer base in the sense that we could offer them all of these things. Like there were so many people always asking me like, where do you suggest I go for chicken? And like, I wish I knew a great chicken guy, but I don't. <laughs> so now I can, you know, direct them right to my sister and I, I can, you know, firmly say, you know, I trust what she does because she does what I do. <laughs> 
Right. Well, that's so good. And yeah, like you said, why you can't do it all yourself. And if that's like the number one message that anybody ever gets from any of my podcasts, like if you hear somebody who sounds like they're doing it all, it's likely they're not doing it all. They've asked for help or they can go and collaborate with people who also do a good job at what they do. And you continue to do a good job at what you do and bring it together. And it's like a powerhouse. Yeah, no, exactly. And just the the relationships with the people that you get to build along the way is, is incredible. And just really just honest collaboration. It is just, it's amazing. Yeah. I have, you mentioned the community over competition and uh, I know it's a struggle and it's a struggle that we face in today's world. I think comparison to others will never go away. I also like what you mentioned about ego earlier. I think there is a disconnect with us when it comes to when we're thinking of competition with other businesses. I think a lot of times ego gets in the way of that. Your ego says, like, I can't reach out to them to collaborate with them or ask them any questions or whatever it is, because your ego might be holding you back from that. So for anybody who is listening, do you have any advice for them if they're thinking, like, I would like to expand my company or my business? And like, I I think, you know, collaborating with whomever sounds like a great idea, but Maybe their ego is holding them back or there's something that's holding them back from reaching out to collaborate. What advice do you have for folks who are looking to grow their business through collaboration? I think really just don't don't get deflated. Keep trying always. And there is so many, I don't know how many emails I put out. Sometimes I'd go through like little spurts on like a night shift on my break. Let's call it my break. And I would just email like 20 restaurants in a night shift and I'd be like, okay, like maybe one of them's going to send me an inquiry, you know, and you just got to put yourself out there and cold call so many people and it's okay. We're, we're all getting refused one, you know, all the time. It's not even once in a blue moon. It's all the time. Right. And, and just to, to do it and go for it because then you can't ask or you can't wonder what if I would have done that? What if I would have contacted them first? Like put yourself out there. There's, there's lots of opportunity to try it. And, you know, asking questions, I've kind of tried to reach out to my shell as well. It's like asking if I see a producer that I'm like, Oh, wow, I really like what they're doing, you know, with their grazing, or I really like what they're doing you know, with their labels. I think it's cool. Like I've, you know, just, I send them a message and say, you know, there's this one other um, amazing farm. I just know through Instagram. And I was like, I really like your grazing plan. Like I I need that graph. Can can you send me that graph? (laughs) And they just emailed it to me. Like it's just an Excel spreadsheet. It's no big deal. And, you know, I've had people ask us about our labels and, you know, where we get them done at and, like, you know what, here is all the information because you're going to get to the same answer as I did eventually. But like, why does it have to take you that 12 hours to do all this stupid research or spend all this extra money? You know, I could just give you that information, right? So I think just working back and forth and and really just trying to break down those barriers. 
and don't sell yourself short. Should probably take my own advice. <laughs> we all should take our own advice sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but that one is a good one. Don't sell yourself short. Yeah. I think, you know, there are the folks out there you know, who are scared to ask and who are scared to put themselves out there. But really, I'm here to tell you the worst thing that's going to happen to you is they're going to tell you no, or they're going to ignore you. And in the grand scheme of things, if that's the worst thing that happens to you in a day, like I think you're okay. And like you said, the amount of no's that you get are probably outweigh the yeses. But the yeses that you do get, like those are the ones that feel good. And those are the ones, those are the people that you want to work with, like that are open to collaboration and that are open to work with you and that they like what you're doing. So like those are, those are the yeses that you want and all of the other ones, like it may be a no for now and it might change later. So you just have to keep trying and just trying different things too, like you said, reaching out to different types of businesses or reaching out to different producers and saying, hey, I really like what you're doing with your labels. Like Mm -hmm. any advice of how I can improve mine or anything like that. And, you know, most people are pretty happy to talk to you about agriculture. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's like one of those things that like social media definitely started as a, you know, a direct marketing avenue for us. But I don't think that the thing I was searching for when I started it was that collaboration with other branches. Like so many people would follow me and I'd be like, well, they're not going to buy my beef. They're just another beef seller. But it's amazing because we got to, you know, we see each other's stuff and, and we're all growing. And it always felt weird to go back to the farm. And I'd say to my dad, like, oh, so I saw this thing on Instagram and I think we should try it. It just felt so dumb. And it was like, he didn't understand off the get-go. But right now, you know, it, it's an amazing way to see what so many other ranches are doing. And there's no reason we can't be collaborating more. Like, why should we, you know, be struggling with a certain disease or a certain method of doing something when there's there's a simple answer that somebody else has figured out? Like, And all we have to do is ask. Yeah. All we have to do is put ourselves out there. Yeah. <laughs> Which I know is easier said than done. Don't at me for that. So. <laughs> you have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Rural Woman podcast through Patreon. But I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Marina writes, I decided to become a patron of the Rural Woman podcast because I felt a deep connection to all of these women. Being new to the agricultural world, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about other aspects of the egg world. This podcast opens my eyes to how women near and far grow and succeed in their roles. It makes me feel like I'm part of a bigger picture and I feel as if I have the support of all of these women as I support this podcast and in return sharing their beautiful stories. Join Marina in supporting the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast starting at $2 a month on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more. One question that I wanted to ask you, it was a question that I was recently asked when I was at a conference. And the question was, is there really that big of a divide between 
producers and consumers. And I always, you know, we don't direct market our products off of our farm. We have buyers, they go for processing and go the whole nine yards away from us. But I like I was thinking, I got asked that question. I was like, that's a question that I'm going to ask some direct marketing producers here on the podcast. So what's your take on that? What is there really that big of a divide? Do you think it's gotten better since you've started sharing? Give me all the goods. Oh, well, I think that it's never, it's never black and white. There is a a huge grayscale on, you know, there are some amazing people that, that live in the city and they really appreciate, maybe not fully understand what we do every day, but they really appreciate it and they like seeing it and they kind of, they understand a little bit about what's going on. And then there's others that really just are, are very, very disconnected from the whole food chain. And it's just really hard. I think that a big part as the direct marketing is not even just selling the product, but it's doing the education piece that goes along with it. And it's, it's never, it's never over. There's always something more to learn, whether it's about what cuts of meat they want for their family or prices and, and why things cost what they do or, you know, what, whatever that may be. I, I think that there is still a huge, huge barrier one of the things that, you know, blows my mind is just like, when you bring up like numbers, like there was this article that I just read the other day in the Western producer. And it was talking about this older farmer uh, from Northern Alberta. And he was basically, you know, he owned his equipment, he owned his land and his 200 head of cows was still only, you know, netting at the end of the day, $18,000 a year. And it just got me thinking, because it was like, like, and I work with my dad. So we're both taking home $9,000 a year. And like, like, why aren't we just working at McDonald's? Like what's wrong with us? Right. And I think it's just that idea of, you know, when people go to the grocery store and are upset with the prices of things, it was a radio show that was just talking about how, you know, a, a prime rib roast, an eight pound prime rib roast was over $200. Well, the end of the day, like that's $25 a pound. That's, it's not crazy. And it's still only getting me $9,000 a year. Like that doesn't even pay my, my mortgage or my gas bill. Like just one of those things, like won't even send my kid to daycare. Right. So I think it's just like that whole idea of behind every price tag at the meat counter is, is a family that's, you know, not a corporate business, but, you know, working every day, you know, there's minus 30 or plus 30, like we're out there every day checking that the water is running and the, and the land and the animals are tended to. And I just think that it's really a challenge to wrap your head around that unless you've experienced it firsthand. So what I've been trying to do with my marketing is, is give people a taste of that so that they can have a little bit of that context and that background. So when I'm saying to them, you know, it, it's going to cost this much to ensure my business is sustainable. It's not, it's not so I can live a lavish lifestyle and go to Mexico. Like farmers don't go on vacation, like unless you go and be a nurse. <laughs> so it, it's really just uh, providing that context and what goes into every, every stake and not only the, the financial aspects of it, but 
the the hard work and the thought and the the learning that goes into kind of doing what we do. And I think that most people are really willing to learn. They just are very disconnected because how our generations have gone, they just had nothing to do with the farm, right? Like lots of people talk about how as time goes on there, you know, their grandparents didn't even grow up on a farm. So there are three or four generations of living in the city. Like they've never experienced jumping on the bales at Easter or, you know, running around on quads at the age of eight, like things that people would not fathom. Yeah. And it, I don't know, it's funny, the conversations I've had in the past and specifically with people who were born and raised on a farm or a ranch, I always feel like a broken record when I say this, but like they don't know what we don't know. And when I say we, I meant the people who were born and raised in a city and who went to the grocery store. And if Costco was out of something, it was like, well, where is it? Like, why isn't it here? And just had no idea how it got there. And, you know, we went through a big upheaval two years ago of grocery stores not having food there and people not understanding where it was and why it wasn't there. And I think, you know, you never want to say like the good thing about the pandemic was, but there was a few good things that happened and a few, I think, benefits that came out of it. And one of them being was people got curious about where their food came from. And there was a huge influx of people who either started to buy local and from their local producers because there wasn't anything at their big box retailer for them to buy. So they had to find something elsewhere. And one of that benefit is, is a lot of people, a lot of those customers stayed. A lot of those customers really started to appreciate more where their food came from and ask the questions and be curious. Because I think that's that's a thing is if you're not curious about it, then you're not asking about it and you're not Googling it. Like you're, if if you're not curious about where your food came from, why would you know where it came from? Like, unless, you know, it's put in your face on social media or through the news or whatever it is. Like, people have other interests and other hobbies besides chasing cows. And I don't know what those hobbies and interests are, but uh, they're out there. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And I just, you know, say to the customers that, you know, really like every every dollar that you spend on what, whether it's buying at the grocery store or it's buying direct from a rancher or grass fed, grain finished, whatever it is, you know, you're really voting with your money. So it doesn't matter which system you want to support, obviously grass fed, (laughs) but like you're really, it's every dollar that you spend it is basically saying where your where your values are at and and what what system you're okay with raising your food and i'm not saying one is better or worse than the other it's just that every dollar counts and everybody makes a huge difference like every quarter of beef that we sell is you know is a big deal it's not like we're definitely not too big to be like yes got one in my email box like I know every customer and I personally email, you know, every single one of them and we'll talk through things with them. I went, as you were talking, I just thought of the best story. Recently, I was just at a, a stag at and one of the gals beside me, I just, I knew who she was, but I didn't really know her. And we were looking at our menus, trying to decide what we were having for supper. And I was obviously getting something with like 
chicken because I don't eat beef in the restaurants. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just weirds me out. I just can't do it. And even if it compares to home, I just like, I'm not going to take that risk. <laughs> and she was de- deliberating as to whether she would get the filet or the, the sirloin steak. She's like, is it really worth the extra $10? And I was like, oh yeah, it definitely is. Like if you're going to spend $35, you might as well spend 45. <laughs> and just like the conversation that we were having, like she came from a rural town, even it wasn't like a big city, but she she had no idea the, the difference between these two steaks and 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 why that extra value was just you know going for kind of she saw the steak and thought oh, why would I pay an extra ten dollars for the same thing um, and we just had this like great little educational session over margaritas but like probably I think that it would probably went like way over our head at that point <laughs> of the evening but. It's just taking every opportunity to kind of share and, and not in an ignorant way. It's just, you want to know, I'll, I'll, I'll enlighten. <laughs> and see, I love that. Like, I think, you know, I myself, I don't use the word educate because I'm not an educator. I'm not a teacher. I don't have a degree or anything to say that I have any right to educate you on anything, but I'm here to share and I'm here to share our stories and your stories And the way that we do it, like you said, it matters because that woman now has the knowledge in her brain, what's the difference between those two cuts? And when she goes to the grocery store, she's going to know. And when she's at a restaurant with somebody else and they're going to say, well, is it worth the extra $10? And she'll be like, well, let me tell you. One time I had a margarita with a rancher and they told me what the difference was, right? So the best part of that story, Caitlin, is the girl beside her got the filet. And when she went to the bathroom, she was done. And I said, like, you got to taste it. Go for it. <laughs> and so she trialed both of them. And we just kind of giggled when the girl got back from the bathroom because she was obviously done with her steak. But she's like, oh, my God, it was so much better. It was so worth it. She's like, why didn't I spend that $10? See, there you go. That could and be I'm the just, slogan. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of like sitting there giggling because she's just like, just like mind blown. Her whole world just changed in that few seconds of like actually getting to see that side by side comparison. And it's so cool. It's not, you know, I don't mean to be demeaning at all. That's just, that's a world that she, she never explored before. So exactly what you're saying is, is sharing and you can't you can't blame somebody for not knowing something like there's lots of things I don't know I don't know how to mechanic like I don't know how to I don't know how to do lots of things so but you know how to make a great steak whether that's a sirloin (laughs) or a filet oh yeah and there's a right way to cook it that sirloin is just as valuable (laughs) (laughs) Justine what is the future plans for Flag Hill Ranch survival. (laughs) I um, am expecting again. So spring means calving and having babies again. 2.0, my dad says, well, this is slightly better this year. (laughs) But I, I think it is really just like continuing our journey to try and make our ranch as sustainable as possible for both or all of our generations that are here working. And also to kind of grow the regenerative aspect of things. 
And I think just kind of continuing to to keep up with our beef customers and, you know, be offering them everything that we can. I don't think it's, you're never, you're never done your work. You're never done finding customers. There's always, you know, people that drop off the face of the earth. Maybe it was that they didn't like your beef. Maybe it was because they couldn't afford it. Maybe it's because they moved to Ontario for school. Like there's all kinds of reasons. And so you're never done finding new customers. So it's just, the job is never done. So I think it's just growing and changing, but still going down a similar path. And I don't know what the future holds. (laughs) My last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? I think the most rewarding part is that no day is ever the same. And it is a job like so many others have said that I can take my family along with me. And, you know, some days my family is uh, not excited about going and doing chores in minus 30. And other days it's, it's exciting and it's joyful and you, you get to see kind of the magic in their eyes. And that's kind of a good way of not letting that passion leave you either. So it's just, think that 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 has to be the best part is really sharing it with your family whether that's like the next generation below me or sharing it with my dad is really you know it's incredible it's nothing is always sunshine and roses I'm not saying that (laughs) but that doesn't mean that there isn't uh, really amazing things in every day all good things all good things exactly it has been wonderful chatting with you today I uh I've so enjoyed learning more about you and your ranch and all of the wonderful things that are coming your way in the future. (laughs) For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? So we are on Instagram at Flag Hill Ranch and Facebook as I think it's Flag Hill Ranch Grass-Fed Beef. And we also have a website, which is www.flaghillranch.com. And there is a million ways to email me through all of those. So reach out if you want to talk. If you just want another ranch friend. <laughs> Perfect. I will link all of those in the show notes and people can find you and connect with you. That sounds great. Thanks, Caitlin. Justine, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Justine and really took to heart the importance of community and collaboration within your own farm or within your own community, whether that's in person or online. I am so grateful to be wrapping up this year, 2022, uh, with just the immense sense of pride that I have for the community of women in agriculture as a whole. I've got to share some really amazing stories this year, and I could not have done it without my team here on the podcast, Max Hofer, my editor, as well as Kim and Co. and her great team. And most of all, you, the listener, because that's why I'm here. That's why I keep doing what I'm doing. And I couldn't be more grateful for you for 
taking the time each week to listen to these stories and to share these stories and to keep coming back week after week. Now, the podcast turns four in March of 2023. And when I look back on those four years, I I am just incredibly grateful for the opportunity to continue to share these stories. I also know how much more work we have to do and I'm ready for it. I am ready for a new year and to share all new stories with you. And I hope you are too. So from everyone here at the Rural Woman Podcast team and myself, I'm wishing you all of the best in 2023. And I cannot wait to continue to share the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman Podcast with you. Take care, my friends. Be well, be safe and keep sharing your stories. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon.